City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. That's a good little start to the show, John. Oh, oh, look, we've yes. had worse, Kevin. We've had worse. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> Don't mention it. Uh, that was John McPherson speaking. He's our monthly guru on transport issues. He comes in and therefore it's the first Wednesday of the month. It's the first day of autumn. Mm. When autumn leaves start to fall. Uh, yeah, and... Yeah. Um, and he's pressing the buttons, doing a great job. I'm Kevin Healy, of course. And, um, John, we're going to talk transport well, right through the program in one form or other because oh, okay. we're going to talk to you specifically about transport issues mm-hmm. a later. Including interesting article in The Age last, one day, I think it was Thursday, doesn't matter mm-hmm. what day, mm-hmm. about trams in Melbourne and how important they are. Yeah, that was quite interesting, wasn't it? It was a yeah. sort of a think piece for Madame Carey. And yeah. it was, he was getting a bit philosophical and um, trying to sort of delve yeah. down a bit into the into the um, history and the culture. And, uh, and some stats that, uh, you know, some routes carry lots more than cars do on those yeah, routes. Yeah, yeah. Sort of there are many inner suburban um, high streets that um, um, more, more people are on the trams than are in the cars that are, that are slowing down the trams by far. Yeah, um, well, Smith Street right here in Collingwood well, this morning one of them. <laughs> struck me very much this morning. Last week, um, interesting also, um, we mentioned before, traffic patterns mm. tend to change by the day, depending on if destiny, it was packed to try a different route or something. Uh, but last week, Smith Street was absolutely packed from top end to bottom. It was bumper to bumper from the time I got onto it, which I come out of Edinburgh Gardens yeah, right at the yeah, top there. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, and in fact, one of our guests last week, Sue Bolton, rang to say she was late because she was caught in that traffic. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and she got here in time for what the interview. But um, and yet mm. this morning it, it wasn't that bad with traffic, but still there was enough traffic for the trams to be really held mm. up going into intersections. And mm. uh, and indeed, uh, the first tram stop I came to, the tram turned with me at the traffic lights at the top of Smith Street, and yep. the Alexander Parade stop, the next yeah. stop, it was packed with people, so there must have been some delays. Ah, going on. OK, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Yes, well, well, as I was arriving, there was some, uh, an absolutely overpacked tram heading towards the city. Look, yeah. look, again, it looked like there'd been a, uh, might have been a delay. Um, I mean, the, one of the main points Kerry was making in the article was that uh, here we are, we've got this biggest, probably the biggest tram system in the world. Eighty um, percent of the time, the trams. Well, have he to said it was. He didn't. He did say it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think it. I think it is in actual number of kilometres, but I'm not sure it is in patronage. But anyhow, yeah. it's it's huge. I'm going to pour us a tea while we're at it. And um, you know, we all we all profess our love for the trams, but then we don't give them proper priority on the streets. Oh no, it's uh, this we talk about every month. I yeah, think, yeah, but it, it's it, one yeah. that bugs me when I want a tram. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's. Um, it's you know it's been an issue for probably forty forty years, uh, ever since ever since um, commuting by car got got you know really really popular, um, the the trams get get caught at the intersections, particularly the inner suburban intersections where there isn't enough space to give um, give everybody their own lane, yeah. um, and nobody seems to know how to deal with it, and, and I think the the issue is that nobody is prepared to 
to treat the cars as what they should be treated as, second-class mm. second class citizens yeah. on the inner suburban roads. Well, if, if you listen to this program, you would think the answer was simple, wouldn't you? Oh, well, years, yeah, but, well. <laughs> but somehow our team's getting complicated. Well, that's the for yeah. untransport. By the way, I did say pack with people, then I thought a bit of that has to be redundant yeah. because uh, <laughs> they're not going to be packed with dogs or cats or anything. Oh, well. <laughs> but anyway. But it was all right, packed with people, nice bit of alliteration. Oh, I suppose so, John, yeah, I suppose yeah. so. I did yeah. mention to someone through the week. It's, you I, don't I, have to be so, too precise. I'm fascinated that the horse... Horse trainers, many of whom are not all that articulate, I don't want to sound religious about this, but they, they come on, in interviews they often say, I really like I really like him as a horse. And you think, well, what else are you going to like him as? You know? <laughs> You're not going to like him as a camel or something. Well, they might uh, like him as a personality. You know? Oh, I suppose so. He might give a good nuzzle and that's different to... To getting out there on the racetrack and giving Damn, his all. Damn, you just knocked yeah. me off. <laughs> <laughs> and the, well, the other part of transport this morning will go to very shortly. We're going to talk to Helen Vandenberg about oh, the Essendon um, yes, yes, thing. I speak. Helen, of course, pretty well known. I'm sure Helen's well known to regular listeners of this program, but she's been an activist for many years. She's in, been very. Art- she was very articulate um, right at, just after that yes, awful thing last. Yes, she has uh, been all week on various programs yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, so City Limits is going to catch up. We did say at the end last week we're going to have Helen on this week and I rang her last night to tell her I'd said that. And, uh, Good. <laughs> and she... Uh, uh, she's good on. on you, Kevin. You, you command and everybody obeys. <laughs> <laughs> if oh, only that were true, John, if only that were true. Um, I thought one item this week I thought worth mentioning because remember last year this woman, Sonia Kruger, who um, oh, yes. she came out with the most awful Islamophobia. She She's a, one of the glitterati. Yeah, she has a radio program somewhere apparently. It must be in Sydney. I don't, well, it could be here. I, oh, knows, I, never, be in Sydney. I never listen beyond certain stations. But anyway, um, The Voice host, that's some telly show. So really it's a promotion for that. Uh-huh. But she said... Uh, and this inspired me. I came from a working class suburb in Brisbane. That's why I can relate to them because I came from the same place of having a dream. Well, also she relates to them in some of them anyway. In um, up there, who are they, them? Well, perhaps one one notion dreamer because she's talking about uh, given this is Islamophobia. That might be how she relates to those particular be, yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah. If you really want something badly enough, persistence is the key. Keep trying and you'll get there eventually. I love to see people living their dreams. And I thought, I'm going to practice this, John, because I've always mm-hmm. had a desire to kick the winning goal in a grand final yep. and ride a Melbourne Cup winner. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So well, I, it be too if late, I persist, <laughs> I'll get there, do you think? Maybe in the next life, Kevin. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Well, let's just ruin that one. <laughs> Is she wrong? <laughs> anyway, it goes on about it, but it's crap. But you yeah, know, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, which which pop American pop psychologist is that? Yeah, and she talks about it's the people. Do you know that Donald Trump is um, uh, is a, is a aficionado of that awful nineteen um, fifties pop psychologist? You know the. The one believe it and it will it will be true, you know. The, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, him, yeah, yeah. 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 His, 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 um, I think his first marriage was actually celebrated by this by this character. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, that yeah, helped yeah, the marriage yeah. a lot. And that's why he can say things like, you know, I make my own truth, sort of thing. It's, 
because he yeah. sort of believes it. <laughs> so when he yeah. says that, he says the um, congressional mall was full down down the front there. He, it's true. Well, that's right, and he's about mm. he's about to announce big big increased spending in defence. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's cut that's, other that's areas. Really cut other areas. Oh yes, yes. But on that, and speaking of defence and causing all sorts of problems, um, our sense of smell is being damaged by modern life with traffic pollution and uncollected rubbish affecting our noses. A scientist claims. Right, people living in areas where fumes were high had a worse ability to detect scents as did people living in messy homes or near rubbish. It's believed that losing the sense of smell increases the risk of mental health problems like anxiety and depression. Um, Our sense of... This is a Dr. Kate Hoover. Mm. Um, She told a conference in Boston, our sense of smell evolved in a very rich landscape in which we were interacting regularly with the environment. So there you are. Interesting thoughts. Yeah. And so, uh, and starting affect, from the small ones, they affect up us there, in Kevin. all sorts of ways. Kevin's yeah. got a huge pile of. I'm not going to get through these because, John, no. uh, you'll be pleased to know we're going to go to Helen very shortly. <laughs> but I just thought I'd mention the fact that last week we had the um, we had the uh, penalty rate decision. Yes. Um, and you, we had um, a couple of things I just thought fascinating. The next morning, the Financial Review headline was Penalty Rate Reality Riles Labor Club. Now, Labor Club there is clearly and always used as a pejorative. You know, the Labor Party. Uh, yep, yep. And we can bet on how long it's going to hold out. But it's out okay for. when it's a Melbourne yeah, club. That's, that's quite right. a different yeah. thing. Yeah. Labor yeah. Club is them and the unions and everyone. Yeah. But the bosses, the bench, and they themselves yeah, and the yeah, employers, yeah. They, are all, they all understand reality in these matters. That's right. So that's, that's great to know. And they had an editorial which matched that. Of course um, they did. Yes. <laughs> and, and three other articles scattered through. <laughs> and then there was a, a better, a really classic one also was that the, the Age had a headline mm-hmm. um, on page eight. Uh, Henry wants, the Henry of course being the ex-Treasury bloke who's now with the bank, now bank. Yep. Yep. Um, Henry wants company tax rate lowered. That's on one page. So, sure that. Mm. And you turn to the next page and Sunday take-home pay gets slashed. I mean, all in the one, but it all, it's all good. The pay getting slashed is good. Company yep. tax rates lowered. Yep, yep, Even yep, better, yep, John. Yep. Even better. Well, it means those rich people can buy another holiday house somewhere else, you know. Yeah. 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 And that, that helps generate work in the oh, construction absolutely. industry. absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Although you hope the workers don't want to get paid penalty rates if they have to do it on Sunday. <laughs> but other than that, it's good. Yeah. No, no, no. Michaela Cash was on this morning, siding with the workers. This generates work for people. It's good, she said. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. A, she's interesting, isn't she? She's got a voice like an absolute oh. fog on that woman. Yeah, and, and a Free Hills lawyer, I mean. Really? Well, that's where she came from. I mean, it's great, to, it's great you've got an industrial relations minister whose background is a Free Hills lawyer. For those, I'm sure listeners know, but Freehills is the biggest anti-worker yeah. law firm in the country. Oh, that okay. it, it was the it was the one that advised the government on drawing up the work choices legislation. Right. right. So it's good to know, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, look, we, I've got plenty of stuff here, but we want to get to Helen and get that out and, and talk to her and yeah. get that. And then we'll move on because I know by about twenty-seven past, I'll look up the clock and see if you're shaking at that I'll stage. Try to <laughs> twitching. <laughs> yeah. Okay, take a break. You're listening to Three CR Radio. 
Join the International Women's Day Rally on Wednesday the 8th of March at 5.30pm, starting at Parliament House and finishing at Trades Hall for an after-party. International Women's Day sparked the Russian Revolution 100 years ago, and in honour and memory of our sisters then who took strike action over bread, we raised the demand, peace, bread and land. Join us for the IWD Rally on Wednesday, March the 8th at 5.30pm at Parliament House. Contact the women's team at Trades Hall for more details or visit unionwomen.org.au. The IWD Collective, Victoria Trades Hall Council and the Trades Hall women's team are 3CR supporters. VCR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Okay, and uh, on the line, Helen Vandenberg, um, who of course is a, well, she's a pretty regular person, regular on this program, talking about lots of things. I was Steel Creek many years ago, and... uh, it's uh, Talamine Toxic Waste. We've talked about SNE Port, but it's that today. Uh, perhaps I should have mentioned in that well, that promo just reminded me, next week is International Women's Day, John. Uh-huh. And uh, it reminds me of two things. One, that um, our co-presenters, um, Lynn Drummond, couldn't be in this morning, and Mark's having all sorts of surgery on wisdom teeth and things, and mm. he's used that as a miserable excuse not to come in. Um, uh, but uh, Lynn next week uh, is doing a special on women, um, women, and particularly women, way women are ostracised financially in life vis-a-vis men. Uh, in superannuation housing, all those sort of issues. She's going to be talking to experts in those areas mm-hmm. uh, in a special City Limits for International Women's Day next week, so people should listen into that one. Uh, just thought I'd mention that. Helen, uh, speaking of such things, Helen, um, uh, Essendon Airport, you've been fighting it for ages. I, you did say that, you, that the, group, the group sort of packed up two or three years ago because you thought it was a lost cause, but it's back on the agenda, isn't it? Well... The issue is on the agenda, and good morning to John as well and Stu. Um, We spent from 2000 to... I was spokesperson from 2000 to the end of 2014, and then the group continued for a year, and they folded at the end of last year at AGM, um, because we'd turned every stone, we'd knocked on every door, and no-one was prepared to take up the real question of... Um, what is what's needed at Essendon Airport to make it safe is space at the end of runways, and that's not achievable at Essendon because you have the Tullamarine Freeway at the southern end, and east and west you have houses, and in fact west you have Matthews Avenue and homes. So, with house, the nearest house from the uh, north and south runways is 100 metres up to 300 metres. And east it's 200 and west is 300 with some at 500 metres. So um, 
most people wouldn't want to go to an airport if it had houses on its airport land. They'd know straight away that that was an alarming situation, whereas this one's disguised by its age as being suitable when it's not. Mm. And the other concern mm. that the community's had is that they've now introduced corporate jets and private jets, and because of the overflight of Tullamarine planes going over at 2,000 feet, you have to keep a kilometre from those. So anything that's coming in or out of Essendon um, has its height suppressed, which is one of the reasons there's such an issue with the helicopters from the police air wing and the media and the um, the uh, tourist flights that happen from there in helicopters because they're all flying very low over homes when they've actually got the capacity to go up high, but they can't mm. because that's a controlled airspace for Tullamarine. So, I mean, controlled yeah. airspace is, is space that has to be controlled by air services, right? Now, um, there's a limit, height limit which you can't build beyond. Yet last year at VCAT, VCAT permits, has permitted a building to be erected on Keeler Road and it will be at one corner 20 centimetres below the threshold of controlled airspace. And now we went to... The, there and the only thing they listened to was noise um, and uh, they just said oh well we'll use the Australian standards to do noise attenuation on the building and we asked for the building to be two floors lower and that wasn't a concern to VCAT because VCAT simply said oh no it's residential land it's an activity zone you're allowed to build that high and it hasn't gone into controlled airspace so that's all right. We thought the airport had objected. Initially they did, but once the company gave an undertaking to say that the crane that they will be using to erect the building, that they will notify the airport and get the airport's permission as to when to operate it in controlled airspace because it's going higher than the building, of mm. course, uh, the airport withdrew its uh, objection to that development. So we think those people are going to get quite a surprise in their top floor apartments when they see the lights of plane coming into their to their homes. Well, planning academic Michael Buxton came out last week and said it go, it's down to privatisation. And um, you've made this point many times since it was taken over by Lynn Fox and uh, Beckton. Uh, there's been this massive expansion of commercial interests there and that... Uh, he, he argues these are given precedence over, over safety, but he said that. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, it all started with John Howard, didn't he? He privatised them, um, you know, and they set the rules. And it wasn't until Labor came in that we got some amelioration of the planning laws and the master plan process and community aviation consultative groups were established under the Rudd government. Prior to that, there'd been no community consultative group. So that takes you to 2007. So for seven years, Chris Cowan gets up there and says, we have a lot of... He's the manager of the um, business there, and he says that they do a lot of community consultation. Well, four meetings a year is not a lot of consultation, especially when the two community reps, I wouldn't know who they are at the moment, mm. and they have no resources to put information back into the community. You've knocked it's up one totally of my quotes. I was going to quote him to you, actually, uh, Helen, and ask you whether it was true or not that there was this, <laughs> this, this massive consultation with the community. I think you're saying well, no, aren't you? Absolutely, and the further proof of that is the fact that when the state government allocated um, millions of dollars for a new um, emergency services um, facility, which was needed because patients were being loaded on and off planes 
uh, not undercover. Um, the airport unilaterally put the new facility on the eastern boundary behind the back fences of people in Strathmore. So if that's what he calls a, an output, there was no... We, the first we knew about that was when the sign went up to say it was going to be built. <laughs> so, and previous to that, it had been on the western boundary adjacent to a light industrial area. Now the, now the hangars that are in that section of the airport, new hangars have been built further south on the western boundary opposite the homes of people in Matthews Avenue Airport West which, and that releases land at the other end for more development because they want to build a hospital um, and I believe there's another multi-storey building required, but I'm not sure about that. That's right. Um, the hospital was in the news a couple of months ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, um, a bloke called Marcus Diamond, who's, who's the uh, safety officer with the Australian Federation of Air Pilots, hmm. he came out and said, um, if the DFO centre had not been built next to the airfield, we think there could have been a very different outcome. Oh, the, the pilot could have begun his touchdown on grass a number of years ago, he said. Yeah, well, I mean, there's another proof that Essendon Airport doesn't consult because nobody knew about that. The buildings went up. The state government was caught on the hop. They had a traffic situation at the um, Buller Road on-ramp onto the airport and they had traffic banking up on the um, Tullamarine and Calder for people trying to get to DFO when it was opened. And in the end, the state government, taxpayers, had to pay for an improved intersection there and there had to be an off um, the they had, DFO changed its hours from 10 till 6 and I quite agree and I said so several times last week we don't know if that outcome could have been avoided simply by leaving a bit of grass Daniels yeah. Andrews in reply to that has said well there were sheds there before sheds are a vastly different op different thing from um, the DFO and we were lucky that it wasn't open mm. And it wasn't a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So um, I really think that the issue of the public safety is an issue that needs to be addressed. And um, there will be a meeting of committee members to discuss what to do next. It's it's shocking when you look at the um, what what what's south of the uh, southern end of the north south runway. Well, <laughs> um, you you look you look and it's just solid. It's solid built-up suburbs for kilometres. Oh, yeah. There isn't one, there isn't even any green, you know, small green patches that could possibly be used for an emergency no, emergency and... crash. There's just solid, solid housing. Well, Gowan Bray wasn't there when the air ambulance crashed and that crashed into a green field and right. all six people, the pilot, co-pilot, doctor, yeah. nurse and two patients died. Yeah. At least it crashed into a green field. Yes. That's now a suburb. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And all the, all the accidents that have happened, the Gully family in Matthews Avenue, the Gowan Bray, well, what was once a paddock is now a suburb, Gilbertson Street to the south mm -hmm. and again into the DFO on the south. Mm. So, you know, Neil Mitchell asked me if that was the price we pay for aviation, but I don't think that I don't think getting in a plane is supposed to be risky. In fact, I think it has getting in a plane supposedly more safe than getting in a car. Well, That's there's right. fewer planes well, that's what for a start. Well, that's what they claim. Yeah. Well, there's fewer planes for a start. But anyhow, the point is, I think a pilot and the flying public 
are entitled to think that any place they're taking off for, and this applies to the emergency service pilots too, they're all entitled to a crash zone. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not, it's not the, the glory days of um, aviation just beginning and we're just finding out. Um, we're not in awe of aviation anymore, though there seems to be a culture amongst well, we some be, that, yeah, yeah. And so we... People just ought to have the idea that their plane's got some kind of a crash zone when it, at, during takeoff and landing, which mm. are the critical times. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, Helen, that one about the air ambulance, it was raised with me that that's a good argument for keeping it there because if they had to go somewhere else, the patients would have to be, be taken further in perhaps peak traffic or whatever and it would slow down getting them to hospital. Comment on that? Well, critical cases are the only ones which require you to save minutes, right? But then you have to now look at the fact that um, the capacity of the of the um, medical people to deal with situations is pretty good, plus the fact that it's improved dramatically in the twenty years last twenty years. On top of that, they're entitled to the same right of safety during takeoff and landing, and on top of that. Uh, critical patients are heliported to um, mm, yep. hospital yep. Um, and patients coming from um, Gippsland or from Mildura, um, there, it is possible to have a helicopter that could pick them up and come back without having to refuel. And secondly, a lot of patients that come through um, Essendon the majority of patients coming through Essendon are people coming from country areas for chemo in Melbourne or other treatments. Now, if they were to land at Avalon or Tullamarine, they would have... Tullamarine, you might have a couple of extra minutes on your... But that's not critical. So I think there's a lot of smokescreen being used. I think the um, emergencies are being used as a smokescreen because I don't think that argument will stack up if it's thoroughly investigated. Mm, okay. The other one that's been thrown up... And besides that, yeah. we're, that's an inherent contradiction. Risk other people's lives to save somebody else on a regular basis? That doesn't hold mm, much weight mm, with yeah. me. Mm. The other one that's thrown up, of course, is that the airport was there and the build-up areas built up around it. Is that an argument? Well, going by that argument, you go back to the fact that the land belongs to Wurundjeri. Yeah, good, yes. good. <laughs> well, that might solve the problem, There's actually. A... <laughs> well, they'd look after it better. Yeah. There's another interesting thing. Every now and again, you know, a full-size airliner mistakes um, uh, Essendon for Tullamarine and starts putting down its landing gear and its flaps to, and um, tries to land at Essendon until they're waved away at the last minute. That's a, that happens every so often. Well, it hasn't happened for a while. No. So we um, we were blitzing that when we first started, and right. I think there was a greater effort made to um, educate yeah. overseas yeah. pilots about it. But I had a reporter ring me up from Sydney the other day, and she said, "Oh, you've got a a um, a golf course behind your airport." I said, "Sweetie, you're looking at Tullamarine." <laughs> mm. That's right. Yeah, just just as an anecdotal piece, I actually flew out of Essendon on the last commercial day or the last weekend. Uh, and when we came back two days later, we flew into Tullamarine as it opened. So there you are, yeah. um, going back to that period. Um, Helen, but we're going to have to wind up. But the um, what now? What do you want to ha- want to see happen? Well, I would like the coronial inquest to consider the issue of public safety. So I'm writing a letter to the coroner to ask that that matter be considered. Um, I'm speaking to council about 
what they're going to do. Um, they have an obligation to protect the residents and, and I think that the uh, Premier has already indicated that he's not open to accepting the findings because one minute he says, let's not get emotive, let's wait for the reports to come mm. in. On the second day, the day after the crash, he told Frank Kelly when she suggested the airport could close, he said, that's not going to happen. And he says it plays an important role in Melbourne. Yeah, he just, yep, yep. So that's the sellout um, for a start. Was, yeah, it would have been interesting. I mean, if that plane had crashed on the, on the freeway in Pico, that would have been interesting. All it? the shops have been open. All the shops have been open, yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, that, of course, that, that does raise another another point. We're talking about local government because, in fact, of course, under the under the rules, the Commonwealth completely controls planning in that area, and uh, state and federal, state and local government are pretty well locked out. Yes, they are. But council has an obligation to advocate for its citizens, and a stronger performance by, I think, um, a well reasoned argument by Mooney Valley would hold some weight. And I also think that it's um, time somebody sued the federal government. Or Lindsay Fox or someone. Um, well, yeah, no, those people everything are, like, that Lindsay does, everything that Lindsay does, he has to get okayed by government. Yeah. Mm. So you can't mm. hold him responsible for it. No. You no. can only hold the government responsible for making, the, giving him those opportunities and in which public safety has been compromised by the authority of the Commonwealth government. Yep, okay. We're going to have to wind up there, Helen, but look, Thanks, and uh, I know there's other matters you're working on at the moment. We'll get back to those in two or three weeks, and we'll. Uh, so you're going to become a bit of a regular at the early part of the year this year. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> I look forward to discussing the flora fauna re- guarantee review. That's the um, one we want to get on to. Yep. Yes. And we'll t- okay. Look, we will talk about that in a couple of weeks or so. So, um, so don't put the phone down. Just hang on there, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I'll Thank- be away in the last part of March. Oh, okay. Well, oh. Okay, thanks for the warning. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, Helen Vandenberg Thank there. You. And, um, bye, John and Andy. Bye-bye. Helen, of course, um, a, a regular, irregular on this program, but always uh, always of value. John, uh, transport. Mm. 29 past. You're not, you're not shaking all that badly. No, I'm not, am I? No, yeah. I found some macrame to do instead. Oh, okay, <laughs> right. Yeah, with the, with the headphone cord. That's right. <laughs> okay, take a break, better. come back, and we will talk transport to John. <laughs> The Thinkers and Makers Salon is a monthly event with special guests, jam sessions and an open mic segment set to provoke discussion, communicate experience and inspire thoughtful debate. It's curated by Noor Shikembi and hosted by Sukshi Galasa. On Thursday the 2nd of March, join Nazid Kimi, Ghassan Haj, Miss Safa and Fiona Boyd for the inaugural event. The Thinkers and Makers Salon on the first Thursday of each month, 7 to 9pm at The Good Room. 390A Ligon Street, Brunswick East. Go to thefoundlingarchive.org.au for more information and bookings. The Foundling Archive is a 3CR supporter. Oh, 321 says Andy, and we're back on air. John McPherson, mm. our regular commentator on transport issues, is in the studio. John, we kicked off, we had a bit of a chat about this article about trams last week, but... Um, he does make. I mean, he really makes the point that if they weren't there, we'd just have absolute traffic 
chaos, mm, absolute mm, chaos, mm. Uh, and that they really play a key role. Can we just go back? Because someone did ask me over the weekend, mm. um, and I pointed out about Major General Risson and his camp standing up to the government of the day when they wanted to close that tram. Because someone mm. said, how come Melbourne kept trams when mm. other big cities didn't in mm. Australia? And mm. can you mm. want to just give us a bit of that history, Major General? Yeah, well, People might <laughs> know it. And well, that, well, that a train killer actually saved our trams. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Um, Julianne Bell actually um, argues that it wasn't so much Major General Risson as the as the men behind him in the in the management of the um, tramways that they yes, they yes. put the lead in um, the Major General's pencil, as it yeah. were, that that um, made him stand up to the to the government yes. of the day and people like Balti, you know, who of course were. Well, was Baldy who wanted to close them, of course. Well, yeah, well, he was very pro freeways and roads mm. and all that sort of thing, I think, yeah, yeah. But but I think um, also Balti would have been... <sighs> the fact that the trams were there and still operating and probably didn't cost a huge amount of money back in those days might have been attractive to Balti, I suspect. I think it, there was a sort of an old-fashioned, um, just a conservatism in Melbourne, I think, that, um, that um, gave the trams some some, um, you know, cachet in a way. But, I mean, it is bizarre because Sydney had a bigger network than we had, yeah. <clears throat> for instance. And, boy, do they wish they had it now. Yeah, and they're yeah. trying to bring them back slowly yeah, yeah. in many ways. Yeah, they? they're, yeah, they're trying to bring them back. But um, but the thing about ours is it's definitely a tramway and not a light rail system in, in terms of, you know, 80% of the... The track is on the same roads mm. as, as the as the traffic, so the the trams get caught up in the traffic oh yep. so easily. Yeah. Adam Carey makes that point. He mm. says it's the uh, it's unique. It's the world's biggest. Well, you say it mightn't be the biggest in usage, but we know. Mm. And almost eighty percent of it is along roads it shares with other traffic. This mm. makes it more like a slow streetcar system than an efficient yep. light rail network. Yep. But the sheer weight of numbers demands Melbourne trams be given light rail style priority. And he mm. goes on to some of the things we've raised time and again mm. about how mm. you could do mm. that. Yeah, well, I, th- I think even at the moment, the, the, the in theory, the policies about how roads are used would, would at least mean the the road the main roads and the inner, inner areas where there are there are trams would um, allocate the trams the most um, priority and cars and, mm. and other vehicles that get less but it just doesn't ever seem to quite work like that when you uh, get out there on the system it uh, always seems to be the trams that can hang around in the intersection for 3 or 4 minutes while the cars run in all directions, and uh, then finally, reluctantly, the, the tram yes, the, gets the up white little, tea comes yeah, up or something. Yeah. Little thirty second, yeah. little thirty second window for the tram. I always wonder why, perhaps, why the white tea can't come up and you know earlier rather than later. But it always seems to be later. Well, we keep raising that. Why can't the tram priority be the first thing at the exactly, at the light yeah, change yeah, rather yeah, than the last? Yeah, yeah. 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 He does say no smart city should be content to let a tram with two hundred passengers on no. board call along at ten k among a row of cars that each has one person inside. Again, That's we've right. made this point so many times. Right. There are two main ways this can change. More traffic light priority, which should be straightforward, and less on-street parking on busy tram routes, which is trickier. And on that latter point, in the last day or so, in fact, the RACB mm. and all people have come mm. out and said on Sydney Road, where, mm. don't I know it, trams get held up incredibly, as does everyone else. Um, that they, in fact, should get rid of parking and uh, have um, those special tram stops, um, whatever yep. they're called, yep. platform yep. tram platform stops. stops yep. um, but, and um, but and you, give trams priority. But you see, it's not, it's not as easy as, as you think. Um, and my good friend Tony Morton from the Public Transport Users Association has done some um, 
careful um, surveying of the speeds of trams on on Royal Parade and Sydney Road, with and without um, parking on, um, for instance, on Sydney Road. And in many ways, the um, having cars parked there actually helps the trams <laughs> because mm. the cars can't can't get round in front of the trams if you see because of all the par- because of the parking and the road being so narrow. And so, in some ways, he would argue, and he's got the, sh- the figures to show it that off peak the trams can run faster on Sydney Road. With then, the cars parked there, because there is a um, whatever it's there called, is a, a clear, clear way. There are clear ways in yeah. in, a, in, a, in a certain part of the peak period. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So it's not it's not necessarily clear cut how how you how you organise these things. Well, you'd have to if you. I mean, they're talking about also providing separate bike lanes as well, which mm. would be really good. Yes, uh, but you'd have to say, okay, if there's no parking, then you do police that yellow line. Mm. Mm. That keeps which, cars off the tram Which, lines. of course, no policeman regards that as a high priority in his day's work. Mm. So they never get never gets policed. No, no. that's right. But uh, but uh, it it does seem like that that sort of thing is just not not enough. I mean, it's simply not going to keep the cars off off the tram mm. tracks. So just just having that um, that yellow line, even with huge signs overhead saying "Do not," you know, you know. And of course, if you have a um a really efficient, fast public transport system, and mm. you might get more of those cars off the road anyway. Well, well, you can argue if you've got a good, efficient public transport system that you don't have to provide all the space for the cars because you say, well, you should be on the trams. And, of course, that's, that, that should be the case with, with people travelling to the inner city and the, mm. and the CBD. They should be on public transport. That's, you know, that's the last area that you really should be providing mass, mass road space for uh, commuting cars with. One, 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 you know, driver at a time. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so all these, all these things are interesting, and this, a lot of it's got to do with the sort of, um, the, the sort of, um, 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 not psychology, but the sort of um, ideology you have about your city too. And we, we've got a muddled ideology in Melbourne. We, we like our. We like our inner suburban areas, which are quite the streets are quite narrow, and that that's part of the you know part of the charm of the of the high street shopping strips and things like that. that yeah. There's not huge amount of road space, and the trams trundling down the middle is is part of the mm. is part of the charm of it all. But of course, if everybody wants to get to that area by by car, well then. You start to destroy what you what you say you love. Well, you can sit in a tram on the narrow part of Sydney Road for ages, moving mm. nowhere with the bloody traffic. Yeah. So oh, yeah. A, oh yeah, oh yeah, and, and the same in Chapel Street. And there's all those narrow yeah, streets. Yeah, Chapel Street's a particularly a particular classic for yeah. some reason. It's it's very very bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I'm not saying it's an easy. There's an easy answer, but I mean, it's, <laughs> I I don't know. Somewhere like Chapel Street, I think I would, I would would would. Um, I'd stop that being a through road for vehicles mm. entirely. I think I'd I'd still allow the trams to run the full length, but I think I'd I'd actually might break that up at a couple of points, so it really only became local traffic that could could, could get into that mm. area. Mm. Yeah, that would please big roads no end. And, <laughs> well, and it's the yeah, RACB. it's it, it, it is it is um, <laughs> it is fascinating. But um, Victoria Parade's an interesting. 
interesting thing. It was sorted out by Big Roads about 10 years ago mm. and made safer for uh, cars and, and presumably trams. But the whole thing became, became slower for everybody because you've got these huge, long um, um, traffic signal phases. And um, um, so the trams, again, are just, are just sit, sit there for minutes at a time to allow a small amount of tr- cross traffic to uh, yeah to get in their way uh, and you do wonder is that the best is is that the best way to to sort it out there are so many so many things but uh, as i understand it the kind of tram priority detection we have is very very primitive the uh, trams uh, can be detected no, can, by the I can traffic I quite signal. easily believe that job, mm. too, let me tell you. And, <laughs> and there are much more sophisticated systems in Europe, but um, so far um, nobody at Big Roads or wherever seems prepared to um, uh, take them up. Mm. Well, there's a pretty smart one, actually, at Alexandra Parade. When the tram's coming down from um, Johnson Street mm-hmm. uh, to going out of the city, uh, if it's any, if it's with some, you know, within any sort of range at all, they they get a green arrow on that particular light for right. the cars to clear. Right. But then by the time the trams trundled down from wherever it was, yeah. the cars are still on its way anyway. The cars uh, have moved back into the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 For the next traffic light. Yeah, so um, yeah. it's just it's just yeah, nonsense. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, as you yeah, say, it's yeah. all just bit of yeah, bit the, of pot luck. Yeah, there's it, it it's um it's 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 pretty pretty crude. And you get the situation where um, um, the the detection system will detect the tram going against the peak hour and give that tram priority, mm. and won't give the tram priority to the tram who's coming through roughly the same time, you know, towards the yes. city with a with a jam packed load on board, things it's, like that. You can't imagine big roads getting things wrong, can you? Because they they're the, supposed, the ones are supposed to organise well, all that. Yeah. Well, when they when they admitted that this was about a year or so ago, that it sometimes took up to twenty years between reviews of the way traffic lights work <laughs> at an intersection. Well, you've got to give them time. <laughs> they don't work well, as I said. I mean, I, I think I mentioned last time. I might yeah. have been, but it might have been since then. But I missed. We sat for three full yep. light changes yep. from Grattan Street through to mm. getting around at the roundabout there at the top of Elizabeth Street mm-hmm. or Royal Parade there past the past the hospital. We missed it at Grattan Street. We missed it going into the roundabout, and we missed it coming out of the roundabout and sat there for a full one. And, in fact, until they put the lights at the roundabout, the tram had priority mm, and used mm. to go slow down but go through without interruption. So it's much worse for trams now. So it's been made safer, quote-unquote, um, but at the expense of probably adding five minutes to the tram. Well, it depends on the light change. Sometimes you go through okay, but mm, this day, mm. particular day we missed everything. Mm, and why mm. the tram? If the tram's there, why it can't have priority? Mm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. only thing is there. Are, there's a tram coming from its right as well, of course. Uh, uh, and uh, I mean, whichever one gets there first should get the priority, I would think, uh, or whatever. Uh, but that, uh, apart uh, from that, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's 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 a cl- that's a classic. Um, w- one place that does seem to work all right is Q. Q Junction, Studley Park um, Road. Q yeah, Junction. those lights seem to they work actually, reasonably. They, they actually yeah. do get, seem to give the, the trams priority between phases, but I haven't checked it for a while, and who knows what's happened to it. <laughs> you know, these, these things yeah. can get fiddled with and adjusted. Um, and, yeah, yeah, even even right here in Collingwood at the corner of Smith and, um, Smith and Gertrude, where the trams turn, 
that's that that's um, you know interesting the way that that operates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times you seem to have everything frozen, you know, and everything just sits yeah. there for a minute and no, nothing moves, <laughs> and you think, well, can this be can this be good? Can yeah. this be good? Um, design you know well on a bike i mean you got the red light on you but then the tram gets a right turn so on a bike you, you can scoot across yeah across, that's right yeah, it's quite yeah, handy yeah, actually well, and, but, uh, uh, and some pedestrians will will uh, do that one too yeah yeah, yeah. the the uh, i want to come back to jeff kennett by the sure, way yeah. i know he had a not very nice mm. thing to say but um he's attacking trans yeah what's for, his uh, um, main point oh that the government's giving them far too much concession oh, and, okay. and everything else and he's the one who signed the contract sure, but now yeah, he's yeah. he's upset about yeah, it yeah. um um, but another issue that arose, there was an article about driverless cars. Yeah. Now, it made the point that it, it says they could be uh, become commonplace between mm. 2020 and 2025, which yep. is Not tomorrow in many ways, yeah. um, and be safely moving and you know, reach the point where everyone's using them. And someone's made the point they don't even have to look like a car. If you think about it, they could be all sorts of things. It's all sorts, yeah. But anyway, that's beside the point. But it concludes by saying... Um, the Department of Infrastructure cautioned there is an element of hype about the state of driverless car technology and that government should be aware of their potential negative impacts. These could include increasing road congestion by undercutting the benefits of public transport. Mm. Is that a... you want to comment on that? Or well, yeah, it's a, it's a... I think it's a major... it's a major point. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, you know, again, it makes the private car more attractive in many ways. So, if people have got a car at home and it happens to be, you know, a self-driving car, um, you know, the um, and the alternatives, you know, walking down the street to get the tram or get into the ro- railway station, they may, they may think, yeah, let's take the let's take mm. a, our extra special car. It'll all depend a lot on the um, incentives, you know, monetary incentives and that sort of thing. And at the moment, of course, we don't we we don't charge private car owners nearly enough for the for the amount of time and space they take up. Mm. You know, they get a very good deal um, on using on using the uh, road system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although we don't we don't feel like that because you know as private private owners, of course, you always feel like you're being ripped off. Mm. But you know, but the car is such a is such a um, a disruptive thing in an urban setting, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's going to be a worry. I mean, people may take their take their driverless car to work and then send it back home on its own. <laughs> so that's it could mean a whole lot more traffic, just mm-hmm. just just through um, you know shuffling these things around. And there was an article, the article also mentions people might share a lot more. Or you might just or you they might just ring up and have a car come to your door and drive you to wherever you want to go or whatever. But. You, they might, do, but those sort of things are available now. And I think know. it'll vary a bit, but um, imagine someone sitting at the driver's seat surely mm. has to keep alert, though, do they not? I mean, who knows? What's going to well, they, they might reach a point they don't. But well, it, the idea is, no, they'll, they'll reach a point where you don't. Yeah, because, I mean, you could use the, like you're sitting in a train, you could be reading or mm. doing something else mm. while a tra- mm. car takes you to work, but I just thought... Surely someone has to sit there just to put the brake on just in case. <laughs> well, the argument is, no, they'll get so good you won't have to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. And just as a, another thing it mentioned um, and I found interesting um, was that um, in Australia they'll make them 
or they're hoping to make them with kangaroo detect um, detection technology and pointed out that we wipe out 20,000 kangaroos a year on our roads. It's a bloody lot of kangaroos to kill, isn't it? Sure is. Yeah. Remember that book years ago? It was either called Auto. I think it was. I think it was called Autogeddon because mm. I thought it should have been called Carmageddon. But right. anyway, yeah. um, and it it pointed out the massive amounts of wildlife yeah. that are slaughtered, yeah. not just kangaroos, no, and, no, but birds, even particularly birds, if you go yeah. nights and things, you see the insects that get killed yeah. on windscreens or on you know that's sure, just those sure. are just the slaughter and smaller, our roads smaller animals squashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a lot of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I don't even know if they'll be able to... They won't be able to avoid, the, avoid kangaroos, though. I mean... Uh. Well, I don't know. But that's right. I mean, but well, it's, it's they can. To cut, well, they're going to try to. Um, well, I must, confess, I must confess I collected a wallaby out on the Hume Highway um, a few years ago. Mm. I didn't really see it. It came mm. out of the scrub on the side of the road. And I think I saw a sort of grey blur, but I'm not even sure I saw that. Mm. And then there was this great wallop on the front left, left-hand side of Wallaby. the car. Wallaby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was well and truly dead, and the car was nearly dead too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was absolutely nothing I could, I could have done to avoid that. I mean, it was, you know, at 110 k's on the motorway, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember um, coming down, didn't hit it, but coming down... The bush bush track into Can River some years ago out in East Gippsland, uh, which is used to be a fair bit by those days, it probably still is by by mm, timber trucks, mm, which mm. are pretty reckless, as mm, you know, mm. no interest, bloody things. Um, and we came upon on this track a, a dead kangaroo and its partner, sort of with its body, just you know, yeah, yeah. it's quite poignant, yeah. actually, yeah. quite poignant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. well, well, you know, the whole driverless car thing is, is it is fascinating, and then because the Americans have got very very excited about it. About it all, mm. um, we're going to make money out of it, John. <laughs> the there is a worrying side, to the freight side of it, though. It might might be it might be um, it, that um, you know trucks become even b- bigger competitors for rail freight over long distances mm. with the driverless truck. Ah, yeah. yeah, and that that may that actually may be a bigger bigger worry in some ways. Mm. Yeah, I mean, because the number of vehicles you're talking about is much much smaller, but. If hopefully at least they're more electric than um, than, than diesel, diesel. Or fuel mm. or whatever, but mm. um, but if they, I mean, if they're not, it's going to mm. make it even worse. But hopefully the pollution mightn't be quite as bad if most of them are electric. But Brian, that's, that's hopefully, isn't it? Brian Cox, the um, the scientist um, who's very good, you know, seller of science. Um, you know, the, you, you know who I mean, Brian Cox. Brian Cox, sort of science. Do I, <laughs> oh, he does, sure I does do. programs on the ABC. Oh, I don't he, know. Oh, very much into astronomy and physics and right. all of those things. He's a professor at um, one of the English red brick universities. Mm. Very, very, very good um, um, commentator. Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, he was saying Present, presenter, presenter, of, commentator. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very, very sympathetic. And very, very articulate. But he was saying on this program last night that uh, he was more into fusion, you know. Uh, he wants power to, in the future to come from fusion power. Oh. Yeah. He, he got far more excited by that than, than, than by renewable energy from the sun, by, um, by photovoltaics mm. or um, wind power. He was into but the fusion. sun's the ultimate fusion, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. Well, he was saying we should do it ourselves here, here on Earth and... Uh, We'd have so much energy available. We could then send rockets all over the uh, all over the solar system, 
I think that was his main oh. his main aim was to send send uh, send off the rockets to the solar system. Well, that, that mob in America have actually already sold two tickets yes. to round the moon flight right. and back. And it, something got pointed out, it was probably 30 35 million a ticket. Mm. Mm. You'd have to mm. be, uh, yeah. Mm. That'd, that'd mm. make a bit of a mess of my bank account, sir. It would. It would, Kevin, yeah. Andy can afford it. He's over there. He's thinking yeah. he might do it, actually, but he's looking like, yeah. <laughs> um, let's get on to Jeff Kennett. All right. Because we're on uh, – well, in fact, we'll, we'll go back because the point you raised about trucks on the road. Yeah. Um, Lindsay Fox, um, we got into him because he also runs our great, airport, our of course. Truck, our truck entrepreneur truck and Avalon this well. weekend. They're going to unearth the brand new jet we're spending trillions on for them. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be great. wish I was there to see it. It'll be all, the excitement of it all. Yeah, damn. Uh, anyway um, – Lindsay says that trucks might just go back on the roads, look for other routes to avoid the mm. increases in mm. tolls that's mm. being in, being mm. put up by Transurban. Mm. And the big complaint is that Transurban's charging them tolls now for an upgrade that won't yep. happen, etc. Yep. So they're being charged. They're going from twelve to twenty six on mm-hmm. April the one. Mm-hmm. Um, comment on all that? Do you I mean trucks? Back yeah, on the roads? yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Again, um, I'm f- it's been fascinating lately to notice that Sydney seems to be getting its act together with um, containers to Port Botany by rail, doing a much better job of um, of improving the situation there than we're doing here with um, containers to our ports by rail. They seem to be getting their act together. We we just seem to be puddling around, you know, with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. year after year after year the same. The same things seem to get talked get regurgitated. about, regurgitated. Nothing ever quite happens, and and you know, and then the people in Spotswood and you know those streets Francis over there, Street, Francis Street over there, they they finally you know roll their eyes and have another demonstration, pointing out that nothing's changed, that it's as, as bad as ever, and then we go through another cycle and still nothing changes. Well, mm. well, um, unless. At the same time as these higher tolls are brought in, that the trucks are actually statutorily banned from from the streets, which they shouldn't be on. Um, nothing will change. Of course, they'll find they'll find that the, the free back street if it's available, and they're allowed to use it. Mm. So unless unless the government is prepared to actually grit its teeth and put twenty four hour, seven day a week bans on 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 the areas that matter. Um, It'll keep on, you know. It'll keep on happening, and it seems like the trucking industry has got, got, you know, both all governments by the short and curlies. Mm. Somehow, or other, there, it's another one of those productivity things. They're so convinced by the, the fantastic productivity of these trucks that, uh, that nothing can be done to, um, to pull them into line. They're the reason, of course, also the aforementioned yellow line is supposed to keep cars off traffic mm, line. I mean, mm, that's, mm. They're the reason that's never pleased either when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, while things continue to, you know, the TWU union seems to have a very a lot of influence too. Mm, yeah. And uh, the current road minister, of course, came from that union, Luke Donnellan. Did he? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you get the, there. there's a lot of closeness there. And uh, and while everybody can see abstractly that putting a lot of things like freight on rail would be a good idea, uh, doesn't happen. Doesn't seem to go past that abstract yeah. thing, you know. Well, Transurban, of course, keep announcing record profits while they put these mm. things up. I mean, is mm. it, the, the argument is it isn't fair that you've got to pay 
a, a levy effectively to fund road upgradings that won't open for another two or three oh, years. Oh, is oh. that a fair argument? Um, I'm not really sure it is. Uh, um, the other part of the, the, the whole road toll equation is, of course, that you know, they claim they're building these roads for freight, and yet unless they have you know tens of thousands of cars a day, cars per day on them, of course the, the sums don't add up when mm. the, um, when the, when it comes to uh, finding the um, the operating and, and and construction costs. You know, the, the, it's the it's the cars that are going to provide the, the the biggest part of the revenue stream, and yet it's supposed mm. to be for trucks. And then, of course, the problem is that the cars then also end up on, you know, inner city, um, narrow inner city streets as well, trying to get to where they want to go. And they've been encouraged to come into the inner area by the um, by the new tollways. Well, Jeff Kennett, who signed the original deal with Transurban yeah. for City CityLink, sure. Um, now we've seen time and again they they keep extending. They won't. Mm. If the government wants to change it to favour the government, they oppose it and say we'll take you to court. Mm-hmm. But then it goes to the government and it gives them every time, and mm. they've had extensions um, because they increase the they widen or add to the freeway, which was supposed to be the, the solution in the first place. They then get extensions to the to their mm. contracts so they can keep gouging mm. as he uses it. Uh, tolls until ex- many they yeah, go at least yeah. I think they're now twenty years beyond where originally yeah, was supposed to yeah, end, yeah, and yeah. they'll probably keep increasing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was arising out of that trucking thing that uh, that that Kenneth's article turned up. Yeah. But he he says that in fact Transurban, um, I believe Transurban should not be trusted to be a future provider of infrastructure. Um, to Australia, and on he goes. He's uh, very well, upset about well, them. Well, of, gouging they are, ripping off government. Well, says. of course they shouldn't. They shouldn't be planning. They shouldn't be planning, planning no. the infrastructure. But they seem to be in many ways the only intellectual. You know, they seem to be the one that. Well, does they took the Western the... distributor to government. Yeah, and the government yeah. approved it. And a much, a much bigger pro- project than than government had previously been been thinking about. Yeah, mm. yeah. And the government got very excited very quickly, but apparently Tim Pallas had been talking talking to them for a long time behind the yes. scenes. Yeah, Tim's had a few problems of his own the last well, week. He has, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, the government's got a few problems, mm. especially particularly Don Nadella. Yeah, poor Don. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Don and Telmo. I'm not not very impressed by poor Don. <laughs> uh, not impressed by any of them. No, particularly poor Don. Yeah, um, uh, but. But you know, we we seem to be in this odd situation where where these um, commercial entities like Transurban seem to be telling government mm. what, what the what the transport policy is going to be, and of course, according to according to Transurban, it's going to be more and more roads. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's another it's, it's part of the subject, but we've said time and again that mm. in fact, once you let big business mm-hmm. control planning, or mm-hmm. they effectively do it, because if if projects are are judged on their profitability to big mm-hmm. business, then planning is is done by them, but it's not yep. done for the good of the community. It's done for the good of profit and for the private companies. And, and that's, end, what, that's what we're seeing time and again. And we end up with very wide roads and very high sc- skyscrapers. And yeah. do we really want either? And very wide roads that then need rewidening um, uh-huh. somewhere down the track, etc., yep. etc. Yep. Right, we're out of time, John. Yep, we're just getting going. We're just warming up.
Well, anyway, next month we'll keep warming up. Okay. April, April. Well, it won't be April one, of course, so we won't be quite as bad. <laughs> People might think we really are. <laughs> okay, John. Look, thanks okay. a lot. And thanks, next Kurt. week, as I say, um, next week I say Lynn will be around doing that special program on International Women's Day about uh, superannuation and about housing for women and those sort of problems. And and the following week's our normal housing program with April Bragg, and we'll have the whole team back here again. So. There we are. Andy, thank oh, you. Thank Andy John, because you're sort of a guest. You co-presenter and guest today, I think. Oh, shucks. Thanks, thanks Andy, for looking out for us so well. Oh, particularly particularly the pot of tea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got here and Andy had already made the tea. Isn't that wonderful? I hope it was all right. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.